Hi, this is Walford Kaufman. I'm the pastor of Southside Baptist Church in Gaffney, South Carolina. Welcome to our study of the book of Romans. We've been working on this for many weeks now, and yes, we've got many more weeks to go. But if you would, go ahead and get your Bibles ready. We're looking at Romans 8, 18 through 30. Romans 8, 18 through 30. We're looking at about the divine purpose for each and every one of us. I know many of us are still trying to seek out what is my purpose in life, but this is that concept. What are we to do as believers in Jesus Christ? But also there's a specific thing that Paul is dealing with in this scripture. He's talking about this idea of suffering. See, many believers, even today, probably more today than it was even back then, they got this idea that, uh, that if I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, then I don't have to suffer any today. Where did we get that idea? But uh, as we talk about suffering, now, now please don't go turn this off because all he's going to be dealing with is suffering. Remember, if you get to the end of this scripture we have today, there's still hope because we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us. And what a blessing that is. So let's have a prayer before we begin. Father, guide us in your word. Teach us, lead us. And Lord, this is to be lived out. When we get up from whether we're at the table, on the, in the easy chair, maybe laying back in bed watching this, listening to this, when we get up, let us realize we have a purpose, a meaning in life, and let us live it out. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we'll be looking at there is the groaning. Yes, I know that sounds strange, the groaning. Groaning is a part of life, but when compared to the blessings that we're going to receive, it's worth it all. Look there in verse 18. Paul is sharing here, uh, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, Paul shared, I believe, over in 2 Corinthians 11th chapter that he was the greatest of sufferers. He was the king of suffering, but he kind of shrugged it off. He said, it's no big deal. It is no big deal what kind of suffering he was going through because he was comparing it to the glory that he will be involved in, that he will receive by being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so there's that incomparable glory that comes even when suffering is now. But also, even with this groaning that we have uh, of this creation, of, of us, we see that it's incomparable anticipation of what is about to happen. Eager expectation. Look there in verse 19 as we work our way through this. It says, For the creation awaits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Uh, yes, subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into redemption and glory of the children of God. So we see this eager anticipation. It was a very poetic word, but it's also a very vivid word here. The idea that we have here, uh, that eager expectation, is sticking our neck out, looking we're desiring, we're wanting this to happen, and we're looking toward this eager expectation for the children of God. And so we have this. What are you looking for today? Think about it. 
So what we have here in verses, uh, really uh, verses uh, uh, 19 through 21, 22 there, we have Paul's, <laughs> Paul is doing a little thesis, a little study on Genesis. Yes, Genesis 3, 17 through 19. You can read that later on. And uh, what it's talking about for the creation, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Yes, frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who's subjected in hope that creation itself be liberated. So he's given a little, uh, a little talk there about Genesis. But notice it goes up right to verse 22. Look there in verse 22. It says in there, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now this is Paul writing, but I believe it is still going on today. We're still waiting. As we're living life, there's this groaning within us. We know there's more. We know there's more. There, there is suffering we have to go through, but we know there's something worthwhile. I just had a flash of thinking about folks wanting to get to a special ball game, a special concert and all this. There are some people that go and camp out for days. I mean camp out. I mean hard concrete, whatever it is, in the storms, whatever. Waiting to get that ticket so they can go see that team or to go see that concert, whatever it may be. And so there's that anticipation and all knowing that something's coming. This is what Paul is dealing with. Yes, there is suffering right now. There is struggles right now, but it's well worth it for what's going to come. But we see this. Uh, we also have the groaning, not just of the creation, but of the children, of the children. Look at verse 23. It says there, not only so, but we ourselves, talking about children of God, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. You look at that. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Patiently, we have the Spirit of God in us now. Praise God we have that. But one day, look what's going to happen. We're going to have adoption into sonship. Adoption into sonship. And how special that's going to be for us as we have this. And uh, all that's going on there. Uh, the redemption of our bodies. This is where our bodies are going to be resurrected. And how special that's going to be. I, I just... You know, when I think about this so much in this situation, we're we're wanting to take care of these body virus. I mean, we we've got the vitamins, vitamins. We got the exercise. You know, we're walking. We're doing all this, keeping his body. But one day we're gonna get a new glorified body. I mean, all this we're taking care of. This it's still disease death, illness, whatever comes. And so we know all these struggles are going to be happening to us. But there we see that our bodies will be resurrected. I'm so excited about this study. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. Forgive me for that. And so what we see, the, the spirit that we have in us today is just a sample, a sample of the life to come. That's like you walk down these places and they give you a little piece of fudge, right? You've been through those stores 
give you a little taste of it. What does that make you want to do? Go back and buy it, a pound of it. It costs you an arm and a leg, but it's just a sample. What the Holy Spirit is doing now is just giving us a sample one day that God, as He resurrects these bodies of ours, new glorified body, no more pain, no more agony, all that goes on there. And so what it says, we have this hope. We have this hope. See how Paul's doing this? Suffering, suffering. But there's hope and there's tomorrow. That tomorrow we have and what's going to come about with that. And then we also see the groaning of the comforter. Now I know that sounds strange, but groaning of the comforter. Look there in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So we have the help of the Holy Spirit. Thank goodness for that. Uh, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to deal with the infirmities of our body. Look at our bodies. We cannot keep it strong, can we? I mean, the very moment we were born, we started dying. I mean, it's a process that we go through and all this. We're wrestling with situations in our life today. Well, about the struggles that we have. Uh, I think uh, Paul even talks about the, the indwelling sin that we have. Paul, you know, talked about that thorn in the flesh, the struggles we go through. That's a part of life. But here we can just praise God because what we have here is two intercessors. Think about it. I know you're praying. You're praying for help and you're praying for guidance. Uh, uh, things going on in your own life, not counting others that you're praying for. But I want you to think about this. You have two uh, intercessories uh, for you. Two people. Two present, guiding, leading, divine powers taking care of you. One is when you're praying, think about it. You have Jesus the Son of God, your brother, yes, your brother, Jesus Christ, interceding for you at the throne of God. But also, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you. So you have two intercessors for you. And praise God for that. So that's what we see that's so wonderful here. But I want you to look there at verse uh, 27. There's something very special there. It, at the end of it, it says, For God's people, in accordance with the will of of God in accordance with the will of God. Uh, what that says there is that we have assurance that His prayers will always be answered. Always be answered. I think of a situation sometimes when you have to have an interpreter for you. I've been on mission trips and I say a, a certain thing in, in English and all. My interpreter takes it you know, I might have said something, took two sentences, and my interpreter gets it and says it in four words. Four words. And I'm thinking, what happened? I don't correct them then. I, later on, I asked a question. I said, I said this, and you interpreted it in four words. What was going on? said, well, you said this, but for the people to understand, I needed to put it in that particular phrase. 
same meaning, same purpose. Just think, when we're crying out to Jesus, when we're crying out through the Holy Spirit in us, praise God for this. Praise God that Jesus interprets for us to His Father. And that's why when you say this uh, in accordance with the will of God, when you're praying, and you're praying in the power of Jesus Christ, you're praying in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, it will be interpreted just right. And guess what? It'll be in the will of the Lord. And so think about that. That your prayers, uh, that, you know, really, when you turn it over to Him, it's not your prayers anymore. It's His prayers, as Jesus tells His Father. That's something to rejoice in. And so we see this, that according, according uh, to His Spirit. And so we, we see this, how wonderful this is. God praying to God. Think about it. God praying to God. And guess, guess who's the object of this prayer? When Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who was God in the flesh, now at the throne, when you have Jesus, God, praying to His Father, God, guess who they're praying for? Guess who they're praying about? You. Isn't that wonderful to know? You're the one that's being lifted up. So now we see the source of blessings, the divine purpose that we have. Paul is now looking at the source of all the blessings. What has been from the very beginning, what is, uh, you know, would be consummated at the end of time. I mean, from the very beginning to the very end, this is what we have. And the first thing we see is the principle. The principle behind these blessings is verse 28. And we know that in all things, God, what? What did it say there? That we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. So the principle here is first the object. The object is simply those who love God. That's it. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Some people say, well, God is working for uh, this nation. God is working for this people. God is working. No, think about it. It's, he is working for those who love Him. It doesn't matter what nation. It doesn't matter if it's a communist nation. It's a socialist nation. It, it does not matter. If there are people there that God is going to work in their lives, maybe not life of that country. What about America? We say, in God we trust. Well, what about our prayers? What about our lives? Think about this. Is the, the principle here is the object is for those who love God. And then we see God works for the good. Remember that. God works for the good. There's a lot of people that think that God is there to beat them down. God is there to strike them. I think I mentioned in my sermon Sunday that God has put a target on our back. To, if God has put a target on our back, it's because He wants to get our attention. But God, God, yes, for His good and our good, that's what He does. So we see the object. Is for those who love God. Second is, God works for the good, not for the bad. It's the good. And then those are called according to His purpose. 
called according to his purpose. Our decision to choose Christ came about because he first chose us. When we've been uh, brought to faith in God, we are only responding to what God did first. Think about it. It's what God did first. So now let's look at the program. It's in verse 29. And for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so we see in this program that, that God has designed for us is God foreknew. God foreknew. Now don't try to pin this idea of foreknowledge. This, this, and I'm going to mention this in just a little bit, predestination and all. Don't try to pin this on God. God created me to do bad. Uh, you know, I had no chance. You know, uh, we say some things. Uh, Judas, remember Judas? Well, he was pinned to do this. Did God make him? Hmm? Think about that. Did God make him or did Judas make that decision? God knew all along how I would act. Think about this. This foreknew, this word that's used here is a, a word, another way to translate it is that God knows us in a very intimate way. It's, it's kind of like the idea of husband and wives. Been married for so many years that sometimes a man can get partway through his sentence the wife answers. Or the wife starts to make a suggestion the husband see, I was thinking the same thing. This is that concept. It is not what God knew. It is those God foreknew. That He knew, God foreknew that we would be sinners. This is that foreknowledge there. God knew that we would not be perfect. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus. God set His love on us first. God set His love on us ahead of time. He foreknew Walford Kaufman would be a sinner. God foreknew that I would make mistakes. God knew I needed a Savior. All this. God has never based His love um, on us or what we could do. God, for God so loved the world, right? Even though He knew we would be sinners. Yes, and so it's not what we could do or, or will do and all that. Jesus set His love on us, period. Think about it. Jesus, what He did with Peter. Jesus knew Peter would, would deny Him, and He still loved him ahead of time, during, and afterwards, right? Think about it. Jesus set His love on us, even though, yes, He foreknew. He, did He foreknow we would become perfect? I believe He knows that too. Will you, how do you know you're perfect? I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. And think about this. So the program is God foreknew, and then God predestined. A word that scares most of us to death. The goal predestination is that His children will be conformed to the image of God. See, predestination, so many times we think you don't have a choice. This is the way you're going to do it, period. Predestined here is God desires for each one of His children to become Christ-like. That's right. To become Christ-like, to be made in the image of God. I mean, 
not to be made, but conformed to the image of God. That's a better way to say that. Though, see, uh, we're talking about predestined. Uh, I'm predestined to be a preacher. I'm predestined to be a missionary. God may be calling you to do that, but this predestined here is to be Christ-like. The idea then also in that scripture, that's kind of unusual. It talks about being the firstborn. Uh, being the firstborn, uh, he foreknew, he predestined an image that he might be the firstborn. The idea of this firstborn is not like a ranking you know, like I'm the first of my uh, siblings and then I have a, a middle, uh, you know, a sister and then a younger sister and all that. That's not that kind of ranking here. This firstborn is the ranking that Jesus is the greatest, the most important, uh, that we want to be like Jesus, that we want to be like him. He was he was God's son. And so that's the idea of being firstborn. So let's look at the, the process that we'll go through with this. And this, so every step of this that we're looking at, this is God's divine activity. This is God that loved us so much. He set these things in place. And the first thing that we see is God called. God called uh, in there, verse 30. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. So all this going on. So every step of this, first is God's call. This is not a call to ministry. This is not a call to missions. This is the command to simply believe in Jesus. That's right. Now, it's great for all these people called to the ministry, called to missions, whatever it may be. But this is a call to believe in Jesus. And this word is not, I make a call. You know, like I can make a call today to somebody and I get their answer machine. I might make a call to somebody. They will pick up the phone, but they're really not listening to me. They're listening to everything else going on. This call concept is that it's an effectual call. Call here is not a one-way conversation. This is where God has called us and we have obeyed. We have obeyed. So we see God's call. Then we see God justified. Justified. And that means declare righteous. You know, I've never heard it quite like this, but doing a study, this study, getting ready. Think about this. God treated Jesus as a sinner on the cross. Remember, God couldn't even look on His own Son because what happened? Jesus had our sins on him. But God treated Jesus as a sinner, as a sinner on the cross, though Jesus had no sin. But then God justified, you know what that means? God treats the sinner as if we do not have any sin, that we've never had any sin. Isn't that the strangest? That's what uh, this idea of justified, to declare justified. I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I don't have to get cleaned up. What I have to do is be confessed up, confess my sin, invite Jesus in. Though I'm a sinner, I am justified. By, I've been declared by Almighty God that I am without sin because Jesus took my sin. Jesus died on that cross for my sin. But see, when Jesus raised from the dead, 
When he walked out of that grave, he just wasn't, the stone wasn't just moved. I mean, it wasn't just the angels praising. It was a statement right then, right there, that you and I can say we're without sin in Christ. He took on our sins, paid the price for our sins. So that's what it means justified. But also in that verse 30, it says God glorified. God glorified. And the verb usage here Paul used is glorified. This is the act that has already been done. Now we know, you look at yourself, I look at myself and think, I'm not glorified now. I am not glorified. But we are glorified even now because we have been justified. We've been made right. Uh, we know that the, the true glory is waiting for us. You know, that, that one day when we get to meet, see Jesus face to face and how wonderful that be. But because Paul used this terminology, all because glorification comes about because God has justified us. It's a fact, folks. That's it. It's a fact. It's what has happened already because what God has done. We just need to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Suffering will come. It came in Paul's day. It will come in our day. But guess what? There will come a day that, what? Being glorified? Well, we're already there. But God's glory will come. Is that something to rejoice in? I just handled probably one of the hardest scriptures could be when you start getting into especially predestined uh, and all God's calling, being justified, being glorified. But in the great no, it's not our simple minds. It's just trusting the Word of God. All we have to do as a poor sinner is to confess our sin and let Jesus come in and take control. Let us do that today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for each person watching this, listening to this, that this will be a wonderful time to realize how much they're loved. And Lord, how much You want to work in their life. It's not us obtaining perfection. It's not even us attaining halfway decent sometimes. It's just confessing we are a poor sinner and we need to be saved and we confess our sins and You come in and You, oh, You work a mighty miracle in our lives. We thank You for that. Bless each one. And Lord, thank You what You're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, next week or next study, I'm going to take a little break and be off for about a week. And then in two weeks from now, I'll be back with another uh, Wednesday study on the book of Romans. May God bless you and we'll see you later.